Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. It feels like this is the first Sunday where it really feels cold in here. Yes? Amen? I think so. Thank you. Uh, Well, this morning, if we haven't met, my name is Austin Johnson, and I'm excited. This is actually the conclusion of our Rooted and Renegade series, and uh, we're ending on quite the banger today. We're talking about death and end times. Anybody else excited? couple people? Okay. I'm pretty jazzed about this morning, uh, and I, I'm really excited to see what God's going to do in, in our time together this morning. But if it would be okay, I want to give us another couple moments to sit and to invite Jesus. Jesus, would you speak to me? Would you speak to us? And then I'd love to pray over us one more time. Jesus, you are why we are here. So would you illuminate our hearts with your spirit and our minds? More than anything else, we want to be touched by you. We want to see you. We're here for you. So in anything that happens in these next moments, may it all be unto you and for you because you are Lord and all things are under your feet. Jesus, you're holy and you're worthy. Would you give us understanding and love? I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, if you grew up anything like me, when you think about this idea of death and end times, it's quite a doozy and one that for the church has probably mostly been something that you view as either super confusing or that's what all the wacky people talk about. Uh, Those are kind of the camps that people fall into. And growing up, if you're like me, probably where you got most of your theology, if you grew up in the evangelical church, about end times, is a series called Left Behind. Anybody else seen Left Behind? Yes, some people. Here's the problem. I think most of us, if we're honest, we've gotten our theology about end times more from Left Behind than off of what God's Word actually says. So that's not to say that I'm, I'm not here to say this positional point and this one is more important than, the, than others, there's lots of debate when it comes to end times. So my goal today is not to try and hash out the different arguments and different viewpoints, but to draw our faces to Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be reading lots of scripture. Amen? Can we get an amen for that? Uh, so if you're in the front row, actually, just because they just got married, Sol and Jacob... <laughs> I bestow upon you the reading mic for this morning. So from time to time, you guys can just go back and forth, but I'm, I may hit you to, or not hit you physically, but I will point at you to read. So if you would, uh, I don't have, there's a lot of scripture we're going to look at, so I don't have all of it on the screen. So I want to invite you, if you don't have your physical copy of scripture, pull out your phone, your mobile device, your iPad, and open up God's word. We'll be jumping around quite a bit. And just to begin to frame this conversation, in these next moments together, we're not going to be able to solve everything about end times, but I want this to be the beginning of a conversation for us. I think it's really, really important. This is something that I felt heavy with this week. Uh, This idea of death and end times is something that's totally changed my own walk with Jesus over the last two to three months. It's been heavy on my heart, and I'm really excited for what Jesus has for us. So when we think about it, first passage I want you to turn to is Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. And since Saul already abandoned Jacob, 
Just kidding. She's checking people in. Zach, would you turn to Revelation 19.10? So everybody else, Revelation 1, 1 through 3, and then Revelation 19.10. Jacob, if you want to read first when you get there. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent the angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obeys what it says, for the time is near. And Zach, would you read Revelation 19.10? Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. So what I want us to see here, when we think about death and end times, most of us get caught up in all the details, but the point is Jesus. Like, it's all about Jesus. You look at the beginning of Revelation 1. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of him. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are the ones who keep the word of it. Anybody not want to be blessed in the room? So scripture is actually telling us there is a blessing in understanding what's going on because it's a revelation of Jesus. And my thought is for the church, we've actually perhaps missed out on a blessing because we've neglected the idea of end times, eschatology, because it's confusing. We associate that with wackos or any insert, any, anything else. Zach says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Now prophecy isn't necessarily about all the details. There are details, but ultimately it's about Jesus. So as we begin this conversation today, more than anything else, I hope I want to draw our eyes to this is all about Jesus. And if we neglect it, we neglect part of him. We miss part of who Jesus is. This is a revelation of who he is and to ignore it because it's confusing. We don't maybe like what it has to say. We're actually missing Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I want the whole Jesus. So it matters because this is ultimately about Jesus. It's about him. He is at stake. Our view of him is at stake. Perhaps we have not seen him fully because we have not known his story fully yet. So it matters because it's about him. But also there's implications for us as well. So if you would, turn your scriptures to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And then after we read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 will be in 4, 1 through 5. So if one of you guys want to just hop to the other spot. So everything is about Jesus. The point is Jesus, but also there's great implications for us. If you want to read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and then 4, 1 through 5 right after it. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For when the time, for the time, is coming when people will no longer listen to a sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. 
work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So everything about death end times is ultimately it's about Jesus. He's the point, but there's also great implications for us. Biblical scholars is universal. People would say that we are living in the last days. Now there's debate as to how long the last days happen, but formally, as soon as Jesus ascended, we began to live in the last days. So what this is talking about, we're, we are in the last days. There's conversations about how far are we into the last days, how early is it, but the point is that in the last days, there are going to be people that walk away from Jesus. It's going to get difficult. There's people that are unprepared. So when we neglect looking at what is to come and the revelation of Jesus, we miss him, but also we are unprepared ourselves to walk through what is coming. Does this make sense? So far, yes? So we've perhaps missed out on the blessing of seeing Jesus and perhaps we've left ourselves unequipped to face the coming days. So while we're going through all the scripture as I was preparing this week, I just felt like people, because it's been this topic that's been so avoided in scripture or in the church historically, let's just get to the Bible and see what the Bible says. Not just what I can tell you all these different ideas, but let's major in what does this show us about Jesus and about ourselves. I was talking to a friend this week, and even when we think about death and end times, there's this idea of, there's this, there's this unfolding story. We believe that the Bible is one continuous story. But we've actually perhaps neglected the part that if we really believe Jesus is coming back, we will spend most of our lives enjoying we don't actually think about how we will spend the majority of our existence. It's just kind of, okay, we're going to enjoy this earth, and it's going to be great. We love Jesus. But man, there, this actually points us to the hope of the gospel. I think perhaps when we miss this, we may actually miss the fullness of the gospel because we invite people into this, this story of, hey, come follow Jesus. You're going to have peace and happiness. We're just going to kind of figure things out on earth. You're going to die, and you're going to go to the clouds and be with Jesus. Again, great, but what if there was more to the story? That showed Jesus was even more ruler and reign, reigner over, over the earth. So we'll, we'll dive in with this idea of death. Turn your scriptures to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So what does it say? We don't want you to be uninformed, which means what? We're supposed to be informed, right? We're, Paul's actually saying, I don't want you to have no idea what's going on. I, I want us to actually have an understanding concerning those who are asleep. That would be that those who have died, those who have, have passed on so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So he's saying that there's some type of hope attached to this understanding of what is to come, and that death is not the end. There's a hope that he's inviting us into, that we would not be uninformed concerning those who are asleep, so that we won't grieve like the rest who have no hope. Turn your scriptures over to John 14, one through three. This is Jesus and him talking about what happens when you die. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I'll read this real quick so you don't have to turn there. This is Luke twenty three forty three. This is the man that was crucified next to Jesus. He says, and then 
He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So we see that Jesus is, is revealing that there's this place. Hey, the Father's preparing this place with many rooms. And he's saying, hey, today when you die, you're going to be with me in paradise. So there's this idea of when we die, we don't just cease to exist. We are living beings. We're, there's a spirit inside of us that continues to live. So we die, you go to this place. Jesus will call it paradise. We, we use the term heaven. But I don't want us to miss this. Heaven is about Jesus. Our hope is not in this place. It's, hey, you're going to be with me. It's not just, oh, I'm living to get to, to heaven's pearly gates. It's, we're going to get to Jesus. Heaven is about Jesus. Without Jesus, it's not heaven. So we don't hold on and, and, and work just to get to this place where there's no more pain, there's no more. It, it's about Jesus. You're going to be with me in paradise. So if you're looking forward to heaven, but not looking forward to Jesus, it probably won't be heaven for you because it's about him. It says, in my father's house, the, the imagery here, Jesus is using the, the language of like the temple. This is a place where there's worship, there's praise. It's God's house. There's many rooms. And he's preparing a place. So there is a place that when we die, that, that's, that's where we go. We call that heaven. And, but he promises that I will come again and take you to myself. Philippians 1, 21 through 23. Turn there with me real quick. Philippians 1, 21 through 23. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That's good. So this is Paul writing, and he's, he's saying, hey, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Like to, and he's not just going like metaphorically. He's going like to physically die is gain, which is wild to think about. Everything in our society is trying to push off death, right? Everything about the new products is how do we stay as young as possible, the, tr the tree of youth. We're trying to put off death. But Paul is saying here to die is gain. Why? Because I get Jesus and I'm going to be with Jesus. That's what my heart longs for. The only way that it's gain is if it's Jesus. We begin to see when we understand that we're, we're, we go to this place, but Jesus is there. Death isn't just something to grieve. Death is an invitation into glory. It's a doorway into glory to be with Jesus, to be with him, it's the place that he has gone to prepare for us. That our understanding of death begins to change because we're, there's something better on the other side. And this is where I think we, we maybe sometimes stop in, in our Christian worldview. We stop with heaven. We're going to go to heaven, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our eternity. But scripture actually says heaven is not our forever home. There is life after, life after death. We, we were, God created us, humanity, as human beings with a body. Yes? Everybody in here have a body? Yes, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. So there's an aspect of we were created to have bodies. Now our bodies now are broken. We experience the, the consequences of, of sin and death and decay, but there is a promise that one day we're getting new bodies. That when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, when these worlds dwell together, we get new bodies. Turn with me over to 
1 Corinthians 15, 35. I told you we're going to be all over the place this morning. If you just want to start reading in 35, I may stop you and just break it down as we go. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow until a plant unless it dies first. Into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it to the new body he wants it to have a different plant grows from each kind of seed similarly there are different kinds of flesh one kind for humans another kind for animals another for birds and another for fish there are also bodies in heaven and bodies on the earth the glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of earthly bodies the sun has one kind of glory while the moon and the stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each each other in glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Okay, stop right there. So what the Apostle Paul is teaching here is people are asking, okay, how are the dead going to be raised? How is that actually going to happen? He, he's teaching, hey, when you die, we all have these earthly bodies, but we are given new heavenly bodies. I want you to think back to when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. When you begin to view things in this light of there is a coming day where Jesus is coming back, it opens up everything about Scripture. It's not just about everything on this earth, but there's a coming day where Jesus is coming back and is making all things new. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again, there's a spiritual nature to that. But there's also a reality that God's kingdom has not fully come yet. It is coming. We live in this already but not yet. But it is not fully here yet. And our earthly broken bodies cannot inherit a perfect kingdom. So there is a reality that when we think of death, it really is a doorway into glory. It's a doorway into the kingdom that is to come. We're not just going to spend the rest of our eternity in heaven. Jesus is coming back and we're getting new bodies and that is how we're able to enjoy fully this coming kingdom. This is the hope for us as believers of, we talk about friends and family that die prematurely. They get cancer, they get sick, they die. Tragic car accidents. You, you insert the name, the questions of how could this happen the resurrection of the dead is, is justice. That there is a day coming where Jesus comes to make all things new and everything that was broken about this world, physically, he's going to make new. This is our hope. It's not just, okay, hope, hope and pray for this place. That, yes, God's kingdom is, is coming, but there is a day that he will ultimately bring his kingdom and we get new bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. I'll read it for us. I'll come back to you guys in a little bit. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in, so that word earthly tent, that's talking about your physical body. Okay, everybody tracking? Earthly tent, physical body. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, in our bodies, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, our perfect body. Since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we don't want to be unclothed, but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. 
You've heard that, that phrase in Scripture before, the Holy Spirit is our down payment? That only makes sense is he's a down payment of what? That means that something is coming that hasn't yet happened yet. Yes? Anybody attempted to ever buy a house before? You have to come up with that big down payment? Not a fun thing, is it? But there is a day where if you pay your mortgage for 15, 20, 30 years or longer, where you actually get the full title deed to that house. That's a great day, yes? That's actually probably a more exciting day because you spent all this time paying off the bills than when you first got the, moved into the house. That's what, what Paul's saying here is that the Spirit is a down payment of something that is to come, of our future resurrected bodies. That there's this day coming where all things will be, will be made new. So there's this in-between. We talk about the kingdom that's here, but not yet. The Holy Spirit is this down payment of God is dwelling within us. There's perfection that now resides in us, but there's this coming day where it will fully come. I heard this was a quote this week. I think it was a J.I. Packer that said it. Death is gain for believers because after death, they're closer to Christ. But disembodiment as such, that means to get, lose your body, is not gain. Bodies are for expression and experience. And to be without a body is to be limited, indeed, impoverished. That God has created us to dwell in bodies. We're not just spirit entities. We have our existence contained, limited to a body. So to die and just exist as a spirit, that's not good news for us. And that's not what Scripture teaches. It teaches that He is coming and He is giving us new bodies. And this is, maybe we'll take the rest of our time together. Is this making sense so far? Okay. If not, please tell me. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll, dive in, we'll keep diving into stuff. I need you, need you to help me. So we believe that everything is ultimately about Jesus. We need to be prepared. Death is not final. It's a doorway to being with Jesus. But heaven is not our home. There's life after life after death. And there's a day coming when Jesus is coming to make all things new. When that happens, Scripture would just call that the day of the Lord. The return of the Lord. Grace read this for us if Let's read it again, Acts 1, 9 through 11, together. After he said this, he was taken up before, uh, sorry, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the angels are, are saying here that this Jesus you've just saw ascend on the clouds, you're going to see him come back in the same way, riding on the clouds, which there's so many tangents we could take here. There's a lot of imagery, and like I said, this is just the beginning of a conversation. But I want to, uh, this is too cool not, not, not to share. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, we'll get there in, in just a minute, but it talks about Jesus coming and riding on the clouds. When Jesus was, was killed, the, the decision was made not because he said, hey, I'm the Messiah, but hey, I'm the Son of Man who's going to come riding on the clouds. This claim that he is the God-man, that he is coming again physically, not just as a spirit, but Jesus, the resurrected king in a physical body, is coming back. This blew my mind. This is something I, I learned in the last several months, but this, we make a big deal about the incarnation of Jesus. Christmas is a really big deal. Amen. Anybody excited for Christmas? I don't know where you fall on the, are your, anybody lights up yet? Your Christmas lights are already up? Okay. It's great. Everybody else is going to hound you after this. But we make a big deal about Jesus coming, and that is 
utterly important and vital to the Christian faith. And I think we've missed the beauty of the ascension. That's a big deal too. And here's why. Jesus came as a man, put on flesh, lived, died, rose again as a man, ascended. Daniel 7 would say that there's a son of man that's going to come riding in the clouds. Until Jesus ascended, there was not anyone in the heavens who could come riding on the clouds. There was not a man, heavenly man, God-man in the heavens that could come riding on the clouds. The good news of the ascension is now there is someone who can come. That Jesus can come. That he is the man who comes riding on the clouds. And the beauty of the ascension is it points us to this day that he is coming again. He's promised that he is coming again. When I think about him coming again, though, my fear for myself and for us is that maybe part of our, our neglect of looking or studying end times or just, I would say, all of Scripture is he might come back differently than we think. And just the question of, will I know him? The Scripture would say that he's, he came as a Messiah, he came as a son of man, but he's coming back as king, not with a cross. He's coming back with a crown. The cross happened. He's coming back with a crown, and he's coming back as a judge. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And just this, I, don't, I would even say fear inside of me of Jesus, do I know that part of you? I really like the Jesus, the Savior that comes to rescue me from my sins. But when I read all of this, do I really know you? And when you come again, will I recognize you or will you be unfamiliar to me? If you would turn to Matthew 25. So when I say he's coming back as a judge, somebody, uh, somebody tell me, show me Bible. Somebody, show me the Bible. Great, I'm glad you asked. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. I'll just stop you at some point. Yeah, that's what I thought. <clears throat> but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels come with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. Okay, pause real quick. So the angels say when he ascends, you'll see him descending in the same way that you saw him descend. Okay, so when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's him coming back in the same way they saw him ascend. Keep going. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as, he shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, pause right there. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. Jacob, you say their soul. If you would turn to Daniel 7. Is this okay, going around Scripture this morning? You can tell me no. We'll change it up next time. If God tells me to. Okay, so within, in the back of our minds, what we just heard in Matthew, I want you to, to view this passage from, from Daniel 7. So would you read Daniel 7, uh, if you could read 9 and 10, and then jump down to 13 and 14. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flow flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Okay, pause real quick. That's a word, son of man. That's what Jesus just said. When the Son of Man comes, okay? So this is talking about what, how the Son of Man is coming. Tracking? Okay. 
coming with the clouds of heaven. Just like he ascended, he's coming back. Clouds of heaven. Keep going. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So what you see in Daniel, there's a judgment scene happening. The Ancient of Days comes, thrones are set in place, and all the nations are coming to be judged. So that's what we're seeing when Jesus is talking in Matthew 25. So let's go back to Matthew 25. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And keep going from there. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink, a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Okay, pause right there. So the Son of Man comes in glory. He comes riding on the clouds, and he enters into judgment over the nations. And when I think about judgment growing up in the church, I, I th thought, and it, it is true, okay, I'm in Jesus. When we get to that day, it's just going to be him working out stuff with all the people that don't, don't follow Jesus. And that, that is true. He's judging the, the nations. But there is this reality that Jesus comes to judge everyone. That we're, we're eternal, we're secure, like in Jesus, but there's this, we all stand before God's throne. That he's, he's talking here both to the unrighteous and to the righteous. There's this level of, it's not just, it, our eternity is secured, but there's also this aspect of he's going to look at, hey, what did you do with the gift I've given you? Not from a works and to earn it perspective, but from a, I invited you into the kingdom how did you love me? How did you love the people that I've given you? So he's coming back as a judge. Now, when we think about, anybody like judgment, that word? Kind of unpopular these days, right? And increasingly so. But what I've come to see is that when we deny Jesus' judgment, we deny him his glory. And we deny ourselves salvation. Salvation does not come without judgment. That is the message of the cross. God was judging Jesus on our behalf. There was judgment happening. Jesus coming again, we, we begin to see his judgment is good news because he's going to set all things right. Everything is going to be put in order. And I, I think oftentimes we struggle like, oh, but... What about these people or, or this? And that makes me uncomfortable. It's a, I, I believe it's a lack of us understanding how broken this world is and how much we desperately need Jesus to set all things right. And to deny him his judgment, it's to deny him his glory. He's coming back as a judge, and that is good news. And to be honest, for a majority of my life, that was not good news. I did not learn how to have good news in that. But there is a good news that Jesus is coming to set all things as they ought to be. Give me five, seven more minutes. Matthew 9, 9, 15. Is this helpful so far this morning? Jesus, hello. I got it. Mic on? No. Hello. Jesus answered, 
How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Okay, Jesus is talking about fasting, yes. But more importantly, he's talking about when he is no longer here. Okay, that's the context that he's talking in. So he's saying, can wedding guests be sad? My wife and I were just at a wedding last night. It was great. When the groom is with them, no, because you're together. You're with one another. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. What is fasting about? There, it's, there's mourning involved. There's a deep sadness and longing for something. It's not, in our culture now, it's kind of more just this healthy thing that we do, right? We intermittent fast, and all those things are really good. But scripturally, fasting is this idea of I'm mourning for something, and Jesus is saying, there's a day coming when I'm not going to be here, which we live in this time now, when people will fast and mourn because I'm not here. That we go, something is not right because Jesus isn't here. And we long for that. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, would your kingdom come? When you begin to see that his kingdom has come but is fully coming, our prayer, your kingdom come. We're praying for the day that Jesus comes back to fully establish his perfect kingdom. Not, it's, yes, would you break into my marriage? Would you break into my life? And we're praying bigger than that. Would you come? There's this phrase. It's on Marty's hat, Maranatha. It means, oh Lord, come. I got a necklace on it with that same word. And this word and this message and this longing has these last couple months gripped my heart. And this idea, it was several months ago, but I was listening to a sermon talking about this stuff and the question of when was the last time I prayed for Jesus to come back? Because I missed him. Because I felt like something wasn't right. Not just would you, yes, break into my marriage, break into my family, but when was the last time that I actually prayed, Jesus, Maranatha, would you come? I want you. Something is not right and I want you. Would you come? Would your kingdom come? So as a people, we're invited to long and to fast for Jesus. And when you begin to see this fuller picture of what Jesus is promising that he will do and that he's coming, it sparks something in you that I want Jesus and everything about your being begins to cry, Maranatha Jesus, would you come? We need you to come and set all things right. When you see what's going on in Israel, Palestine, other areas of the world that are not getting as much attention as Israel and Palestine, it's Jesus, we need you to come and set all of this right. Not just would you bring peace on an earthly terms, because that, that's always going to fail. We need your kingdom that perfectly establishes justice and equity for all people. We need your kingdom to come. Would you come? So our invitation this morning, we'll... We'll end with this, two passages. 2 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, <clears throat> and 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. Second Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, and 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. Second Thessalonians. First, yes, sorry. Thank first, you. First Thessalonians. Someone say, show me Bible. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Okay, pause real quick. We don't know exactly when he's coming. It's coming like a thief in the night. That's what we, we know so far. Keep going. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Okay, pause right there. Do you notice what he just said? For most people, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. What we just said, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you. 
And we don't know the exact day, but there's actually this anticipation and expectation that we would be prepared. That we would actually have our eyes open to what's going on. But we're, we don't slumber and sleep. Our eyes are actually open. You tracking with me? Okay, keep going. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness in the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us live in the light, be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Okay, before we read Second Peter. <clears throat> encourage one another and build one another up in light of this coming day of the Lord, in light of living awake, in light of being ready and prepared. Encourage and build one another up. Let's go to Second Peter 3. I am confident this one is Second Peter 3. 1 through 13. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Okay, pause right there real quick. We live in a day, and this is where we associate maybe some wacky people that go, hey, I, th I wasn't really conscious in the year 2000, but from what I understand, there's kind of a big deal that the world was going to end in the year 2000. Anybody can attest to that if you were conscious alive at that point? Great. So we live in a time where there's people that go, hey, or even they question like, hey, well, our, our parents and my grandparents have talked about Jesus coming back and it hasn't happened yet and we kind of just blow it aside of, it should have happened by now. But what, is, what, what he's saying is there's going to be people that ask, where is his coming that he promised? And our invitation is not to base anything off of someone else's opinion, but what does God's word call us to do? We do not know the exact day, but we are called to be ready for the season and to be prepared. Keep going. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Pause right there real quick. The good news, and people ask, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? The Lord does not delay his promise, but is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance because he loves. He wants people to know him. He hasn't come back yet because he wanted a relationship with you, yeah. with us. Keep going. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Verse 12, as you wait for the day of God and hasten, it's coming. 
what I see there is there's some reality that we're able, uh, God has this perfectly established, but when we pray Maranatha, when we pray Lord Jesus come, we play a part in his kingdom coming fully. So as we end our time this morning, again, this is the very beginning of a conversation and a very in-depth, what's often become complex subject matter, but the point is Jesus. It's a revelation of him. When we miss him as that he's coming, that he's coming as judge, we miss him. It's about him. So as we end, I'd love to give us the, the typical 120 seconds, but to have this question in your heart to guide us of what is, what does waiting well look like? For you? What does being prepared look like for you? What does that morning and Jesus, would you come look like for you? What are you inviting me into, Jesus? So let's take 120 seconds and just listen. What, what does he want you to know from our time together this morning? Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's Word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.